Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life. We are convinced that the Bible is God's holy word, perfect and without error. Its perfection delivers what is good and beneficial for those who hear it and heed it. It is perfect for it leads us to the perfect one, the Lord Jesus. He is the bread of life. Let us seek him together through God's word. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. In our study today from Hebrews chapter 10, we listen into the conversation within the eternal Godhead of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has never been alone or solitary in his being. He has always and eternally enjoyed the company of his own triune self. And it was this one God and three persons that determined to come for your salvation and mine. And before he came, well, this was his conversation. Well, if you have your Bibles open, I hope it's to Hebrews chapter 10. I want to read to you verses 5, 6, and 7. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. And we have here a conversation between the Son, the second person of the Trinity, with the Father, the first person of the Trinity. And God is conversing within himself. What we have to understand about God is that God is self-existent and God is self-sufficient and he is the only being that rightfully is self-satisfied as well. He has all that he needs in himself. And God did not create us because God was bored or God was lonely or God was looking for someone to talk to. God had himself, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, eternally and forever held perfect communion and relationship with one another. God is the God of eternal and unending relationship. God stands alone as the one who has never been alone. He's had himself in unity. And in this passage, we get a picture, we get an image of this God fellowshipping with himself and within himself and conversing within himself and this God had made the world, a world in which sin and darkness and death had entered. And here God the Son is discussing with God the Father His coming into this sinful, fallen, dark world and taking upon Himself human flesh. And He and the Father are speaking of the beautiful intent to redeem us from our sins and rescue the world from the darkness that our sins had cast it into. What we discover in the outset of this passage is what it is that prompted our Lord Jesus in coming. And it was this. If you understand the passage within its context, you'll understand why the Lord Jesus came, and it's this. He came to bring, this might surprise you, He came to bring an end to animal sacrifices in the temple. By bringing them to the end, what I mean is this. God had determined to bring the animal sacrifices of lambs and rams and goats and bulls and doves to their purposed conclusion, and by so doing that, to bring them to a complete stop, to bring them to an end. You might imagine it. Listen, if you were to see the sacrificial system day in and day out, it was a bloody sight. It was an awful sight. It was actually quite a horrific sight, and you would have a hard time looking upon it. You would want to turn your eyes away. Something about it would be quite disgusting. And it seems as if, in some extent, 
This is the way it was with God as well. And he wanted to see it come to an end. Well, actually, at the very outset, this creates kind of a confusing idea for us. The odd thing is, how is it that God, who had created this sacrificial system or established it and commanded it and instituted and gave the exact instructions on the what and the when and the where and the how of these sacrifices, how could it be said of this God that he had no desire in it? that he had no pleasure in it, that he didn't want them? It's kind of an important question I think we need to answer before we go on and consider what I want to be the primary consideration of our passage this morning. Let me just say this. It says here that God did not desire or want these sacrifices. And what you need to understand is God had a desire that was preeminent or first of all for his people, and it was simply this. God desired the simple obedience of their lives to his will. And their failure to obey him was sin. And it was a sin that required a punishment. So God instituted these sacrifices to remind the people that they had sinned. And that they faced a payment for their sins that they could not make. And to remind them that above all this, God desired their obedience to his will. And the sacrificial system was this ongoing reminder. It was an object lesson reminding the people day in and day out from morning to evening that God required a payment for their sins, a payment they could not afford to make. And so before the sacrifices that they made, their heart cry was to be something like this. Oh God, we deserve this death. Oh God, we deserve this punishment. But We plead for mercy and we ask that you would give us your covering because we cannot cover the cost of our sins ourselves. Over time, what happened was this, sadly. As the animal sacrificial system went on day in and day out, the people began to perceive that all the payment that God required was those sacrifices they were making. In fact, they began to think that all the obedience that God required was those sacrifices as well. And so these rituals that were purposed to remind them that they had sinned and that there was a payment to be made that they couldn't make and that there were consequences for them breaking God's will and that God's great desire was that they would obey His will, those sacrifices that God had provided to remind them of all those things instead became set up in their mind as, this is all God requires. We'll make these offerings and everything is good for us. And we're okay. Kind of like a man who may, I suppose this could happen, think that because he goes to church every Sunday, maybe he takes communion every Sunday, that he can do whatever he wants on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Because he's covered. He's done his religious act. He's, He's done his service and coming and maybe singing a few songs and offering a certain prayer and participating in a the communion table and remembering that Christ is common, forgetting that all this was done to make him holy and to restore him in a right relationship with God because his sins had a punishment was due and a punishment had to be paid. What they didn't understand as they brought those sacrifices was that these sacrifices reminded them because they had to do it day in and day out, these sacrifices remind them that the payment for their sins was still outstanding against them. And it's still required. And it called upon them to plead for God's mercy. To conform themselves, heart and soul, to God's will. 
They should have known this. You'll see from very early on as the prophet stood before the people of Israel that they reminded the people of Israel that God was not simply satisfied in these sacrifices. Samuel, one of the first prophets, said in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, you might remember it, the first king, Saul, had disobeyed God's direct command. Samuel came before Saul and said to Saul in 1 Samuel 15, 22, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed more than the fat of rams. As David, the king that would rise up right after Saul, after he fell into sin, would write in Psalm 51, verses 16 through 17, speaking directly to God, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. So here's the answer to the question, how could God institute the sacrifices and then wish to end them and take no pleasure in them? The answer is this. God had given these sacrifices for one end, and the people had used them and taken them to a wrong end or a false end. They had put a trust in the sacrifices themselves instead of to what they were pointing them to and requiring of them. How can I just give you an example of this? Just this last week, my youngest sister gave me a Christmas present. Usually you unwrap it out of a box, but this one was in an envelope. And you open it up, and it was a photocopy of a polar fleece jacket that she had ordered for me. And can you imagine that the box does arrive, and I acquire it? But I decide instead just to hang on to the photocopy. The box goes unopened, and... Actually, I tell everybody that this is what my sister gave me for Christmas, was this wonderful photocopy of a polar fleece jacket. I would think that at some point in time, she'd have no pleasure in the photocopy she gave me, but she did give me that photocopy. I did unwrap it as the gift that she presented to me. God gave the sacrificial system. It was a shadowed copy of the real payment that he was preparing for the people's sin. He did not desire that the Jews should rest in the ritual system as a completed transaction for their forgiveness. It was only to point them to seek forgiveness out of the mercy of God. It was only to cause them to look longingly for a sacrifice that was sufficient to cover all their sins provided by God Himself. And the end of the temple's sacrificial purpose and usefulness had come with the coming and sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ, upon the cross. God now desired for them, as God desires for all of us, that we would look in repentance and faith on the offering of His Son for our sins, and that we come into surrendered obedience to His will. God wants us, He wants within us and from us, a broken heart, a yielded heart, crying out for His mercy, set down on faith upon Him, surrendered to obey Him in faith and belief. What our text reflects here is God's purposing, God's design, God's planning, God's speaking of this triune plan that He had for us just before He came into the world. Or we might even say that this was a conversation, we don't really know, but on the night before Christmas. 
And in our passage, we have reflected statements of the Son to the Father on the beautiful body that was to be prepared for Him and on the beautiful resolve that He Himself would make in coming into the world and on the beautiful resolution, or that is, the beautiful ending that He would accomplish for us all. And so let's look at these three things. First, the beautiful body that was prepared for Him. Jesus said, a body you have prepared for me. Acts 7, verse 10, speaks of the baby Moses. And there, Stephen, speaking of the baby Moses, says that the baby was beautiful in the eyes of God. Beautiful. I don't know exactly why the baby Moses was beautiful. I know some people think all babies are beautiful. Some of us have a different opinion. Sometimes we speak about how precious babies are or what a sweet thing they are, but we're not exactly sure if they're beautiful at that very moment. But maybe in God's eyes, every baby is beautiful. But it says of Moses that the baby was beautiful in God's eyes. I think it was beautiful because the baby was born perfectly suited for the design that God had for it. And so there was a beautiful design for that baby, and the baby was designed beautifully to meet that purpose or that goal. And I think that's how it is for all of us. God has designed us or made us in such a way that the way that He has crafted our very bodies are perfectly fit and suited for the design He has for us. Thanks for joining us today at The Bread of Life. Our ministry is brought to you by the International Evangelism and Discipleship Ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism. And your support to our radio program and that work is greatly appreciated. To learn more about that work, go to cpeonline.org. And to learn more about our local fellowship here in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.